Hi, welcome to Almost Cooperstown. I'm Mark. And this is Gordon. And we love talking about baseball. Just this week, the early baseball committee for the Hall of Fame uh, announced Negro legends Bud Fowler and Buck O'Neill to finally be voted into Cooperstown. And also voted in were Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso, and Tony Oliva. We've talked on this podcast a number of times about adding players to the Hall of Fame. We just finished two episodes where we added 35, not 36 players, although we tried to the Hall of Fame. And the players inducted uh, were ones that we've talked about from time to time. We also are looking for metrics, and we were fortunate enough to run into a guy who had written a very interesting book called Baseball Generations, Career Value Index, uh, and a new way to look at players um, and the Hall of Fame. And we found it fascinating enough that we invited David uh, Gordon onto the program, uh, to the podcast, and you're going to hear our conversation with him from just about a week ago. Hi, everyone, and welcome. We are very lucky to have David Gordon here on the uh, podcast today with us. We're going to be talking about his book that uh, both myself and Mark read called Baseball Generations. And this was just for people who might not be familiar with it. This is sort of a book that takes a historical look going from, you know, really the inception of baseball up until modern day and looking at the different groupings of players and sort of looking for a different way to evaluate them on a career basis. And we kind of came across this when we were working on our own list of expanding the Hall of Fame, something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast is we feel like there's not enough guys in the Hall of Fame. Right now, there's about a 1.1% of all the players that have played in Major League Baseball that are there, and we were shooting to move it up to about 1.25%, and that, that ended up being about 35, 36 players. Interestingly enough, we found this book, Baseball Generations, and we found this stat in there called CVI, Career Value Index, and just really the formation of this stat and everything that you made, David, was incredibly helpful for us for going into the remaining players that weren't in the Hall of Fame to try and identify who should be part of those 35 guys that should be added. And it was really interesting when we kind of made our lists prior to finding that and we made our lists, we thought about the guys. And then when we actually came across CVI in your book and went through it, it was really interesting seeing how many of the picks that we made lined up with what you had been writing in your book. So uh, we just wanted to first talk to you about like, what was it like coming up with going through that process of coming up with CVI and writing baseball generations? Yeah. Well, well, the thing I, you know, I, I started doing this just um, from my, just for my own personal interest and looking at uh, lists of ranking players by, by wins above replacement or war. And uh, I noticed some things about war that just didn't uh, didn't make sense in the sense that they didn't have face validity. Like the one I the one I sort of fasten on in the book is um, uh, is comparing Sandy Koufax to Don Sutton. Hmm. Um, These are two, you know, I mean, Sandy Koufax, Sandy Koufax, you know, Obviously, quits uh, due to uh, elbow arthritis about halfway through what would have been his career, at about age th- at age thirty, and uh, and he only had about six really top years, but he was the best in the game for those six years, um, or the best or one of the best for those six years, and um, 
was the best. Uh, and the when he five years after he retired, the the Hall of Fame, uh, the BBWAA uh, elected him to the Hall of Fame uh, with one of the largest votes up to that time. And uh, and nobody thought, and everybody thought that he was among the greatest pitchers in baseball. And then uh, you had, but but if you look at his war career war value, it's only around 40, uh, 49. Uh, he only has about forty nine war over the course of his career because he didn't pitch very long. And then you have a person like Don Sutton on the other hand, another ex Dodger, who was um, who actually pitched for twenty three years uh, in and and. He had only about three of those 23 uh, seasons where his war where he had more than five wins above replacement. And uh, he managed to accrue uh, six, about 60, 66 point something more. So um, and he was elected to the Hall of Fame, uh, but it wasn't right away as about the fifth try, I think. And uh, it's a good pitcher. But most people, if you're talking about significant pitchers in baseball history, would say Sandy Koufax is should be high, you know, higher on your list than Don Sutton, and yet War ranks Don Sutton higher. And it occurred to me that when we think of Hall of Famers, we think it's not just accumulating what they did over the whole course of their career. It's saying how it, it really what we think of a Hall of Famer is a guy who's uh, what Bill James calls has. Uh, black ink, you know, has, a, has leads the league in a lot of categories. Is really thought of as the best or one of the best in the game for some significant period of time. Obviously, if it, if you have a Willie Mays or a Babe Ruth who is the, the best in the game for ten or more years, uh, that's great. But usually, but sometimes you're choosing between guys who are the best in the game for something like five or six or seven years and may not have had as long a career and other guys who pitched 20 plus years who uh, were never the best in the game. And I mean, I don't think, you know, every, I, I'm not saying anything against Don Sutton, but he was never thought of as the best. Right. Pitcher in right. The game. Well, I, I think it actually, that your point is so proven because we were talking about this right before we came on. Cause we were talking about how your CVI helped kind of prove our argument of there are two guys that have won multiple, two of the guys that have won multiple MVPs with the Hall of Fame, with Roger Maris and Dale Murphy. When you mm-hmm. look at the peaks, we think Dale Murphy should be in the Hall of Fame, but Maris probably shouldn't be. Because when you look at the five year period that Murphy put together, he has five years in a row, I think, of five plus war. Well, Maris really only had those two unbelievable seasons. But then mm-hmm. outside of that, he was kind of just more or less a you know a good player but nothing not a hall of famer so it's like what's what's more meaningful having that one sharp peak of excellence or really sustaining it over a period of time yeah and and, you know i i have a uh one of the unfortunate things about roger maris is that it was actually his great personal misfortune that he broke uh babe ruth's 60 home run record because it uh it's um made his hair fall. <laughs> he wasn't, he didn't have that personality. He wasn't a star personality. Mm-hmm. And it was, and in a way we're doing this to him after his death by continually, continually nominating him to the hall of fame. And he's forever known as the guy who's no Babe Ruth and he's no Mickey Mantle. And in fact, he's a fine player. I liked yeah, he, him a lot when he yeah, played. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Not a hall of famer. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Don Sutton. And, and so one of the things I thought about Don Sutton was, and, and you're right. He, he, 
I don't know that he was ever the best pitcher on his own team. And, and it's yeah. hard for me to think about a Hall of Famer, and he is one, you know, who was never the number one. Andy Pettit, I kind of look at the same way, going, well, I don't even know if he was ever the number one pitcher for the Yankees or, or the Astros or anything he was on. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's true. I mean, Andy, you know, Andy Pettit, I, I think he only once came close to an to a Cy Young award. Um, right, and he didn't. I don't. Th- I don't think he pitched in that many All Star games. I have that information. So no, no, no. Yeah, he didn't. It was it was his postseason stuff that you know kind of. Yeah, and a- even his postseason wasn't. He wasn't tremendous in the postseason. I mean, he had a three six. He pitched a lot of the postseason. <laughs> yeah. What he did is he pitched every year in the postseason, and he won. Uh, he he won. Um, what nineteen? I'm, I'm I'm not remembering them. Yeah, I think he had a nineteen. Really that good at remembering numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Oh, actually, I did want to. We, we, we've been talking about it a little bit with the CVI, but for maybe some of our listeners who aren't familiar with your book or maybe aren't as like technically baseball minded stats, can you just kind of give a brief little summary of what uh, CVI or career value index is? Yeah, it's it's basically it's war based. So you start with baseball reference war. And uh, for any and for any season where a player is uh, accumulates more than five war, you get. Um, you add two times the the you give him a bonus of two times the amount by which he exceeded five war. Uh, that's that's the basic thing. So so if you have say uh, Sandy Koufax having nine war and one of the, or ten war, say ten, Sandy Koufax had ten war in one season, you'd give him uh, you'd give him an extra ten points in CVI because he's because he's five war five war over the five threshold. So you give him two more double five war so an extra 10 points and then uh then to get it on the right scale back to war you you there's a scale factor 0.8 so uh so so cofax so uh it, it emphasizes players who have a lot of who exceed five war by a lot of uh in a lot of different seasons so it's so it emphasizes players who had a lot of who had really good years a guy like babe ruth who had something like 12 10 more seasons uh he's off the charts in cvi his his his, uh his career war is about is 180 or so but his uh cvi is about 270 so you you just get lots of points for having war above five and um uh every year you have war above five And, and and then you have a guy like george kell who's in the hall of fame who uh never had a war above five and uh so his so his CVI is is winds up being 0.8 times his career war. So you don't get so that's the the two extremes of people. The people who really benefit are the guys who had lots of good years, and the guys who really are hurt are the guys who uh, are just steady but um, unspectacular. David, uh, one of the those... other thing I should mention that's that's in there is I've, I've oversimplified by saying the number is five. I mean, it, it actually varies depending on what year you're talking about, whether mm. it's a pitcher or a hitter, because there are big disparities in um, opportunities, especially for pitchers. You have you all the way from a guy like Old Hoss Radburn, who uh, uh, and he pitched, uh, he faced 500 and 5,200 batters in two years in 1883 and 84. He get they he has war war values of close to 20 uh in those two seasons. 
and uh, and then you so you you have you have and you have something somebody like Clayton Kershaw, which is about a third of that, uh, a third as many op, you know batters faced or opportunity you know innings pitched, and then you go all the at the other extreme to the modern closer like Mariano Rivera, but Mariano Rivera. Uh, gets one tenth the number of innings that uh, Old Horse Radburn got. So, right. uh, you know, you can't just you can't just uh, compare those war values straight up. Hmm. You um you 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 don't include uh, playoff statistics um, in, in your CVI. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I mean, I'd love to, but war war doesn't include them, so I can't include them. Right, it, it, you'd have to it, you'd have to interpolate between the playoff statistics and you know in Baseball Reference and sort of plug that in. And I I, I looked at them like I don't even know how you would do something like that. Yeah. Our, our feelings with playoffs stats is like they can really only help you. It's something that you can look at like if you're comparing right. two guys that are very similar and one of them also had a, a history of excellence in the playoffs. That could be the yeah. difference, but. You really aren't looking to be like, oh, that guy was bad in the playoffs. So you should not, you know, a rod stunk in the playoffs other than that one year in 09, you know, that should be a knock against him. No, he just wasn't great in the playoffs. Everything else in his career speaks for him. Barry Bonds wasn't particularly good in the playoffs either, except for one year. And Ted (laughs) Williams only got into the the World Series once and he stunk during that World Series. So so you can't, you can't. Yeah, Barry Bonds is like, even with the steroid ding, it's like, it's still wild how much CVI he puts up, even with your digging of the steroid guys, which I thought was a brilliant thing you did. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even go into that, but there are are some, there are some whistles attached to it. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to keep it relatively (laughs) simple and stay on the main main point. But I I think it's it's, also the two main points. It's really relevant to, to mention, though, right, that, you know, you did have a, me- a mechanism to sort of evaluate because so for so long, like Gordon and I put in the steroid guys that we thought should be in there because they need to be in the Hall of Fame along with Pete Rose. That's our opinion. Um, and you've given it sort of a, at least a way for people to go, yeah, well, he's a steroid user and we should ding him. Okay, well, now you're dinging him. You came up with your 20% or, or, or for pitchers, 10%, uh, depending on the time they did it. And, and, it, you know, maybe it's perfect. Maybe it's not perfect. Who knows? The point is, at least it's some way of evaluating it that we don't have right now. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I mean, the, the, my argument for the validity of this is that if you actually look at Barry Bonds's career, and you you have a pretty clear idea of when he started using uh, when he started using steroids, and if you t- take those years when he used steroids and you plot, you know, you you. Um, if they stand out, not not as much as you think. I mean, it's not like home runs stand out, of course, but if, but war uh, home runs are only a small part of war, so it's not you know it doesn't make, it doesn't make Barry Bonds twice as good as he was before, but it makes him about uh, about twenty five percent better than he was uh, in his other years. So uh, I and I figured you know, and most people aren't as uh, aren't as diligent and um, obsessed as, as Barry Bonds was. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, you, you can't just be like Pud Galvin and drink an elixir and think that you're <laughs> going to go out and be there. You know, you know, I don't ding him for using steroids because you have, I mean, part of part, a big part of using steroids is exercise is, is training. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you, you know, steroids alone won't do anything. For you. And Bonds won three MVPs with the Pirates, if I'm not mistaken, you know, long before yeah. any of that happened. So we, like Gordon and I would joke and say, I think let's put all the guys who've won three MVPs into the Hall of Fame. I, I think I'd be in pretty solid ground if we did that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of anybody like that who really shouldn't be in the Hall 
I, I think the thing with Bonds, you could basically say we could probably put Bonds in the Hall of Fame twice. You could put him in once as a pirate for his <laughs> career there and then just once as a giant. Both of those guys were Hall of Famers, yeah. even though yeah. I, it looked like the Barry Bonds in San Francisco ate the Barry Bonds <laughs> from Pittsburgh with how much bigger he got. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he, yeah, even in, even in his early years in San Francisco, I don't think he used to. Yeah, but and it, then but he was unbelievable. But, it, but if, he, if he quit... Uh, after the 1998 season and never played another game, right. still be one of the right. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, you know, so, so in, in the book, you, you, you've done a nice job of breaking down the eras and, um, and Gordon and I are, are always concerned about trying to talk about old baseball players through the, as you call the founding generation from 1871 to 1900, and then followed by the dead ball generation from 1900 to 1919. Um, you know, we have a hard time evaluating that just as much as everybody else does because the reporting isn't as good um, and, and and you don't really always have. So we've kind of shied away from it. You've done a really good job in this book of, of at least allowing us to look at this numerically in, in a way that we can begin to sort of try to contextualize those players from 1890 to somebody who played in 1990. Right. Yeah, it'll never be perfect because, you know, I mean, for example, a part, part of um, war is is defense, and we and we don't really know. I mean, first of all, a lot of them didn't even have; they didn't even play with gloves for a good part of that era, right? Uh, so, and there, you know, I think in the in the eighteen seventies, uh, you know, in the in the early eighteen seventies, um, there were something like ten runs per team per game. Saw that right? Two thirds of the runs were unearned. I mean, I never knew that before. So. Um, so, so you know how you know. It, I mean, you have to. There were one time nine balls. It was nine balls to walk. Pitchers had to throw underhand at the beginning of at the beginning of Major League Baseball. So there's a lot of stuff that's. Um, at one time, I thought of just not putting that in the book because I understand why it's yeah. too different. But I, but I, but that's one of the most fascinating eras in baseball. So, yeah, it's an origin story. You know, it's, yeah. it's really what we're talking about. And and um, I, I thought, you know, you made a note in your classical generation from 1920 to 1946 that there was an increase in hard hit balls. Right. I think I think you noted that. And so my thought was, how did we measure that in 1920 to 1946 in terms of what was a hard hit ball versus who was tracking that kind of stuff? Oh, well, nobody was measuring. Nobody was measuring hard hit balls or just more people swinging hard and hitting home runs and, you know, not to, I mean, I think Cap. I read about Cap Anson. I'm not old enough to to remember, <laughs> but but uh, you know, I read about him that he actually he was this big, strong guy, and he choked up on the bat. He, I mean, he didn't even try to swing hard. He basically uh, guided the ball, and there were, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good strategy in those days because the, you know people, the fielders, a lot of the fielders weren't wearing gloves, and uh, and there were you know multiple errors per game. So you put the ball on the ground, you know, you, you have a 40% chance of getting on base. So uh, I, I think he played during the time where there was a short period of time, five or six years where you could have a flat bat on one side. It didn't have, well, that's to be right. That's right. Around the whole time. And it's just, this the notion of that. We're going to do a future podcast on the history of the baseball bat. And we have somebody who wrote a book on it and it's just kind of fascinating, but the idea of a flat bat, uh, just to see somebody play with one, you know, and I think Cap Anson was right around the time that that happened too. Yeah. Well, he, he played for 27 years. So I think the, the flat, the flat bat era occurred within his career. I mean, I, I don't remember how many years it was. Well, only like 
two or three years, I think, that they allowed that. But uh, so it was we, while he was playing. We want to ask you about Tom McCarthy. <laughs> because <laughs> because so Gordon and I, have, we're, we're not reductive in the Hall of Fame. And this is maybe where we differ a little bit, right? Because I think mm-hmm. we could keep our number to 1.11% if we simply remove the guys who are clearly like, what the heck were they thinking? Kinds of selections like Tom McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to- The Wainer brother. Right, right. We say, you know what, we're going to not be reductive and we're just going to have a slightly bigger one because I'm not going to go back and try to remove guys who, who yeah. probably don't belong there. And and without shedding, putting any shade on Bill Mazeroski, he would be in that group of people, too, that makes us scratch ahead. If it weren't for one home run in one World Series game, he probably wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, actually. Yeah. So in fairness, he was, a, you know, he's the highest ranked second baseman of all time in terms of defense. But but you know he's he's he belongs in the category of Rabbit Moranville and uh, right. uh, a lot of guys like that who you know, uh, who who were elected as middle infielders who were who were elected almost exclusively on defense even though they were not. But Tom McCarthy, caliber. Tom McCarthy is like way down there. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't even a good fielder, as far <laughs> as I could tell. I mean, I again, I uh, he was I think he was credited with uh, inventing the hit and run play. I've heard the same thing. Manager, but I, I looked at, I tried to say, well, maybe he was a good manager, but his, his, he had a losing record as a manager too. So I, I don't understand, I don't understand how he got in. And and I think, you know, we, we've also had a discussion on, can you, you, you we, we elect players as managers, I mean, we, we, excuse me, we elect them as players or as managers and executives. And there are guys, quite a few of them who cross over, who if you added the sum total mm-hmm. of their individual comp contributions might be hall of famers, just not as one or the other. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that works for me. I mean, I think that if somebody was a really successful manager um, and they're sort of borderline as a player, I could see putting them in. I mean, I, there's one guy that I like, again, I, I don't want to always talk about the 19th century, but there's a guy, John Montgomery Ward, mm-hmm. who was, he was a pitcher. He was, a, he, uh, he blew out his arm. Then he, then he was a shortstop. Um, he was a, he was a good, but not great player. Uh, he was a manager and, you know, managed for a couple of years. He also went to law school. He organized the first play while he was playing. He went to law school. He organized the first player union. He was a representative of the, of several people who were jumping to the American league and back during the early days when the two leagues were in competition. And, uh, it's just a big influence on baseball. And I think that you take the fact that the guy was, sort of a, you know, fringe Hall of Famer as a player and that he had an outsized influence on the game in those days. And I think you've got a Hall of Famer. I mean, that to me, in my mind. Um, and, you know, but I, I, but I don't know. I mean, one of the problems with it is uh, I, don't, I don't know how to say, you know, what, what's the metric for saying who was really a good manager versus who was just stuck around a long time. I mean, Connie Mack managed the, the A's for 50 plus years. 53 years was or something he, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Was he a good manager? I don't know. Mm. I mean, he had a lot of bad years. He had a losing record altogether, but, but he, I, I, it, it's, they, it's they, really was, hard to evaluate them. <laughs> yeah. It's just so hard to evaluate managers. Like what, what, how do you, cause it's like, it's so much of what they do isn't seen by the fans. You're just, if the team wins, 
they're a good manager. They're, they're, it's very results-based, I feel like. It's so hard to really mm. quantify what they bring. And obviously, yeah. we're trying to do it more and more with players and stats, but managers is a lot trickier. <laughs> yeah, and I think Joe Torre is another example of a guy who's, who was a borderline Hall of Fame player, uh, but was so successful as a manager. Um, and I, I, you know, I, again, I don't have a quantitative metric for measuring a manager, but I think that anybody who could manage that Yankee team with Steinbrenner at one end and a lot of stars at the other end, I mean, th- this guy was, he had to be doing a good job. Uh, he had a few players too, though. Uh, yeah, he did. On, on those teams. And, and, you know, Dusty Baker right now, we, we, we talked about him who had a, 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 Solid major league career, far from Hall of Fame, you know, you know, yeah. but, but a good major league. And and he's going to be a guy who's going to win 2000 games as a manager. And aside from Bruce Boshi, who is likely to go in as a manager, everybody who's won 2000 cases manager is in the Hall of Fame. So I think I think Dusty has a pretty good chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. But, so, you know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, and, and we like that. And Gil Hodge is another guy who always comes up in all our discussions. And we have some very passionate yeah. fans who, who think he's been wronged. And, you know, he played at a time before there were gold gloves, which is one of the measuring sticks you might use. Uh, he didn't get yeah. any cre- credit for having won those. Yeah. And, and it's hard when you look at his statistics because, you know, they're, they're right on the edge and you have to find a way to put him in because of his contribution to a, a series of very good Dodger teams has to play into it. So there's a lot of nuance, I think, when you talk about a player. Yeah. Like Gil Hodges. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Hodges, yeah, I don't, I don't view him as a hall of famer as a player, although I, I, I will mention that I, the, uh, that one of the, you know, war, war is not perfect. It's not a perfect metric either. And it's hell too. And one, of, and one of the things that's, one of the things that's not very good about it is, uh, is the defensive war. And in particular, I think it's the first base, you know, war for first baseman, uh, Defensive war for first baseman uh, makes no sense. There are people who are thought of as, um, well, I mean, you have Keith Hernandez, who was thought of as a tremendous first baseman, and his career war, defensive war at first base is 1.5, which isn't very much. No, no. Which we all know is not correct. <laughs> yeah, and Gil Hodges had a, a Gil Hodges had a, 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 um, a war, war, you know, above, um, he had better than zero defensive war as a first baseman very few first basemen even rank above zero in defensive war because they, they, and that the doesn't use that the war views them as being sort of a, the fact that they only play first base is, is automatically makes them a, a below average defender and if you if you're like keith hernandez and you're really great mm-hmm. you can basically get above zero <laughs> No. Right, right, and and we do use uh, when we, you know. So we've tried our shorthand of your CDI just to sort of get 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 a different way of looking at it, so that the average fan can go, okay, did he have five seasons of five plus war? Because it's interesting how many guys have four, and that just they fall short, and they just didn't make it to the fifth season, and they 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 correlate a lot to your CDI, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and there's even shades of gray within that because there'll be guys that have four seasons of five plus war. And then the fifth season they have is like 4.9, 4.8. But then there's other guys that'll have like two or three seasons of like eight war, but then they don't even get above three for the rest of their career. So it's really yeah. interesting looking at like that dichotomy. Yeah. Well, it's not the number of say and CVI, it's not the number of seasons that matters. Right. It's, it's, I mean, if, if you're way above, you know, if, if you're way above five, you know, being above being at 5.1 only gets you a, very tiny bonus being at being at uh at eight or nine gets you a big bonus 
So, so a guy, the guy who has a few years when they're way, when they're very, very good, uh, does better than a guy who's just a little bit above five for five or six years. And, and so we, yeah, yeah. we talked about, you know, your, when we, when we dinged Manny Ramirez, and this was one of our favorite players to talk about and all that. And one of the greatest yeah. right-handed hitters to, to ever hit. And yes, a disinterested fielder would be, you know, the, nice way, the nice way of putting it. And his, his, his association with PEDs, along with his disinterest in defense, really hurts him. And I'm still working on trying to find a way to get this guy in with his 312 career average and his 29 postseason home runs sort of waiting on the other side of, well, you got to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, Manny, yeah, Manny is a great hitter. And if he, if he didn't, if I didn't ding him for steroids, he would have been um, in, he gets in clean. Hall of Fame territory. He's only slightly below it. Yeah, with uh, with the set. Yeah. But if the steroid, but the steroid, you know, I don't know what to make of yeah, He was such a uh, unique character yes that um i mean i think what really well really kept him from being you know in the elite players was 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 his defense and was, uh, it wasn't and it wasn't just it wasn't just that he didn't have range or didn't catch fly balls he would just do stupid things out in the outfield. i mean like, like the, the water is the like anti-derek tutor <laughs> like the water bottle in his back pocket as he's out in left field i mean you know it's, it's hard to yeah. take a guy you know seriously you know about his defense when he's out there drinking water during the game in left field <laughs> yeah i know and it's but but i you know that's uh i i mean the steroids gives writers an easy out on him because they would they're not they're right you know i think that if if they're not going to vote for Barry Bonds, they're certainly not going to vote for Manny Ramirez. And 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 I, I want to talk about you know other players that are right there. So we really like Jim Edmonds. I think you do too. Yes. Um, and you know he he is just on the cusp, right at sixty one. I think you have sixty two yeah. as your number. Yes. Um, Ortiz is slightly over. Santana's sixty two point six. And that surprised me because yeah, I he, thought he, I thought he'd be a guy that would end up in just outside. And the fact that he's up there that that sixty two marks impressive to me. Yeah, yeah, he was he was awfully good for those for that short period of time. He's uh, yeah. he's the he's the uh, he would be like a uh, CBI poster boy. <laughs> because, right, right. Because his I always career yeah. war. I, I mean, I don't think he'll ever get into the Hall of Fame because at least as long as people still pay attention to wins and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, Well, that's a stat was, we could But he was like of. the best pitcher in baseball for about four years. Yeah, And I always remember that he would have those second halves of seasons where he would come out in the second half of the season and just be unhittable the entire time. He'd post yeah. like absolutely bonkers stat lines the back half of the year. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then you've got Kevin Apier. And, and this really surprised me, right? At 63.7. I'm thinking, Kevin Apier, really? Yeah. But you look at his career stats, they're better than you'd think. That's right. He's better than you think. I I, I would never have, I mean, he totally surprised me. I mean, I I, I mean, there are, there are some other guys that are up there. Um, Rick Russell surprised me. Right. Everybody well talks well. about him, right? Wilbur Wood surprised me how well he comes out. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. uh, if you look at them, I mean, it doesn't come from nowhere. There, there are there are the numbers. I guess you, you know. I'm much as I'd like numbers. I don't. I don't consider. I mean, I don't. I think that numbers are don't tell the whole story. I mean, I I, I still have some. Uh, yes, you're a fit. We're there's all some fans. Er, re, there's some area for human judgment. Yes, exactly. We, 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 <laughs> we, we, we never want to so. just say, well, CV, if a guy has a CBI above X, then he's in. If he doesn't, he's out. No, no, we we feel this this guy, and that's that's makes it fun to talk. We just want to be arguing about guys like Apier and not about 
Barry Bonds and and Pete Rose. We do you know we'd rather argue with those guys. And 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 of today's players, I'm going to mention the guys that I think we talk about Gordon and I about us. Oh, these are Hall of Famers: Miguel Cabrera, Pujols, Molina, and he might be the most controversial: Mike Trout, Verlander, Scherzer, Kershaw, Greinke, and Joey Votto. Yes. Um, any of those names on there strike you off the top of your head without looking at numbers? As mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, no, I, I think I have all of all of those guys are. I mean, if they, if any of those guys retired today, they, they would they would CVI would put all those guys in the hall of except for Molina, and catchers are a different, a little bit of a different story. But so, uh, I mean, isn't Molina, it the old baseball saying? Catchers are a different breed. <laughs> they're different. They're a different story. I mean, I try to correct for catchers. Because, I mean, they, the problem with catchers, A, they don't, they, they don't usually play as much. There's a lot of wear and tear. And I, I, and I think that, um, and I think that's, that I'm not sure that base, that baseball reference war or any war that I've seen gives them enough credit for defense, calling a game, that sort of thing. I mean, I, I think anybody knows who watches baseball and, and, you talk to ma- managers and so on. They'll tell you, you know, Nadir Molina is a key element of uh, world, of the Cardinals' success in all these years. It doesn't show up in CBI, right? Yeah, you can't you can't quantify Yadier Molina calling a really good game. But there is a reason why, after hundreds of different pitchers that have come through that organization while he's been playing there, the Cardinals have always had a pretty good pitching staff. It's yeah. not he's he's a part of that. Right. Yeah, so I just don't see. You know, I, I mean, I'm not going to sit there here and argue that uh, you know Yadier's, Yadier Molina is only in the upper 40s in CBI, and therefore he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. That, that would be, yeah. I, I don't. I, I think that there's there's certainly all there there's certainly a lot of guys less that are in the Hall of Fame that are less deserving than him. Um, the the other one, uh, you know, I, I was very, I was disappointed that the Buster Posey saw fit to retire this year because CBI. Does it has him uh, just on the fringe? You know, uh, you know the the book doesn't go through twenty twenty one, but with his twenty twenty one season, he would have been close to sixty in CVI uh, in the upper fifties. And you'd think that if he just played another year or two, uh, we it would be uh, uh, he would be unambiguous. But uh, but uh, it, there, there's another guy that I like. You, you may remember in the book Thurman Monson. Oh yeah, that I think ought to oh, be yeah. in the Hall of Fame, and and if it's uncanny if you look at it, if you compare Thurman Munson to Buster Posey, it's uncanny how similar their careers are. Right, it's, uh, they're both they were both rookies of the year. They they both played twelve years. They were they were rookies of the year. They each when it were in three World Series. Um, uh, Buster Posey's team won all three. Munson's team won two out of the three, but Munson was actually better in the postseason. They each made seven all-star appearances. Um, they, you know, they were like team leaders for you know whatever that means. So you, you know, you, the, those guys, and, and they both have a roughly the same CPI, right around right. Bunsen just above sixty, but Posey just below sixty. So uh, you know, I, I think it's and actually given the the amount of um, that New York is such a media hub, it really surprises me that Thurman Munson. Was never elected. So maybe um, we will sometime. 
uh, we, you also put Joe Maurer and, and we would, we would agree with you on that. And even though Joe Maurer caught only slightly more than half of all the games he ever played in the major leagues. And I guess if you're going to ding him for something, you'd say, well, that's, you know, um, that's not that, but I was surprised that he actually had more than half his game to catcher, but, but he did. Um, yeah. and, and certainly a, a very deserving uh, guy, we think. Yeah. So, well, the book is Baseball Generations, uh, Career Value Index, A New Look at the Hall of Fame by author David Gordon. It's his first book, right, David? Yes. Any other books? Well, I, do have an, I do have another one that I wrote actually about my career, uh, <laughs> about my, my actual, I, I, you know, I spent 40 years at the National Institutes of Health, and I actually wrote a book called The American Cardiovascular Pandemic, A Hundred Year History. It's actually, uh, although it's a very different subject, it's it has some similarities to the baseball book in that it's um, it's a mixture of history and statistics and tries to tell a story that um, hopefully you don't have to be a, a physician to understand. But that but that one also they they both came out at the same time. Even though I wrote Baseball Generations before I wrote uh, the American Cardiovascular Pandemic. Well, both Gordon and I found it to be a very enjoyable read, Baseball Generation, so I'm sure uh, your other book has been show you have a nice writing style. Um, uh, we really like the, the concept. It's so well-researched, uh, and you can get it on Amazon at a reasonable amount of money, as, as did we all. So um, we want to thank you for, for joining Gordon and me. Uh, we are going to be using CVI probably as long as we do our podcast and beyond. So, uh, again, thank you very much for joining us, David. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Almost Cool.